on your part. Right here we go. Welcome to the On Track and Field podcast. I'm your host, JT Ayers. All things you need track and field related, we will hook you up at ontrackandfield.com. Just go to their website. You need anything, especially with the track season right around the corner, you need stuff because you want to give your athletes the best of the best so they can have the best opportunity to see personal best, PRs. You can even host a dual meet invitational with some of the equipment you'll get and brand new. Just go check out their brand new state-of-the-art. I got to see pictures of it, and it's unbelievable. They have a shoe store on trackandfield.com. It will not be a waste of your time. You listen to this podcast. You hear me talk about it all the time, but I'm also a customer. I work with them. I love working with them. And Steve, the CEO, well, he's going to hook you up just like he hooks me up all the time. All right. With me is Keith Hurston. He is the... 2022 Mountain Region Women's Assistant Coach of the Year. That's a pretty big deal. And he's in his second year at Texas Tech. And throughout his career, he's coached three Olympians, two World Championship finalists, an NCAA champion, 38 All-Americans. He's not even an old guy, and he already has a resume. And I was making – it fits a whole page. He's a pretty, pretty big deal. So it's cool that I'm getting to talk to him. His athletes have set 24 school records. He's recorded three – uh, NCAA top 10 all-time performances and um, Texas Tech is a really cool school to be a part of. I'm glad we get to talk about it. Keith, coach, thanks for joining me. What's up, JT? Good to be here. Appreciate you having me. All right, man. So I want to start with Texas Tech. You bit you were at Florida State before that and now you're at Texas Tech. Why don't you just tell me what excites you about the school before I get into the X's and O's of jump coaching? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, I mean, it's Highly competitive, of course, has been competitive, you know, long before I got here. Uh, the coaching staff is here is really, really good. They're they're uh, um, they're competitive themselves, of course, but they're successful at, at the highest levels. And this team was really, you know, already at that level before I got here. Um, so that was exciting just to come in, you know, do something like that. And we were competing against them at Florida State, so I got to see firsthand what they what they did, and um, they won the uh, national championships on the men's side in 2019. Um, so I was there seeing that, of course, because Florida State was in the hunt uh, for the same thing. Um, so, yeah, dad and, and the head coach, he's he's just an exceptional person. He's uh, uh, a really good coach, really good guy, uh, you know, treats everybody with respect really well. Um, I just always admired him. So it was really an honor just to come work for him and just see how he does things. So that's that's a big part of the decision um, to come here. And, and what he's really created is – uh, a very good family atmosphere, you know, so this team is, you know, everybody always talks about family, 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 you know, and it really is here. He, he has been here for 23 years, I think it is. So he's created a really good environment. So there's a lot of positives for with uh, Texas Tech for sure. What makes one like, and this is, you know, just totally just my own basic ignorance, college coaches, especially good ones in the division one, what, what makes them jump from school to school to school I mean, why did you leave Florida State and go to Texas Tech? I mean, especially when both of those two are probably top five tier, you know, college programs in the United States. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, the, the biggest reason was my wife. She's from Texas. So we have a, a two-year-old. So we were hoping to get closer. I, I promised my father-in-law father that I would get back in Texas. So we accomplished that pretty quickly. So I think in three years of marriage. So uh, we were happy to get back because of family. That's the main thing for us. Uh, for sure. We always want to be competitive, or I do. 
I always want to be competitive wherever I'm at, and it still gives me opportunity to do that, but still get closer to family. So those are the key points. And uh, if my father-in-law is listening to this podcast, uh, too bad. Um, <laughs> we're staying out here. Uh, all right. So I read an article, and Dan Path talked about this a lot, about the idea of cueing your athletes in competition, how coaching can change when you're training them on a day-to-day, Monday through Friday kind of thing. And then when you go to a competition, especially as a jumps coach, I'm at the high school level, even at the highest high of the of the high school level, you'll have coaches say, move back three feet, move forward three feet, come back, you know, approach here. Like it just seems like there's over coaching constantly. What are some of the things that you cue your athletes with when they're in competition? Yeah, first of all, it's easy to overcoach. Uh, everybody has done that at some point and and I probably still do at this point, but normally what I do is I have a, a plan set, you know, through the indoor season and then re reassess during outdoor, but, you know, earlier competition. So say January, we'll do, we'll do a lot of cues, you know, we'll, we'll have this main point. So that athlete is trying to focus on whether it be the approach, you know, setting up the jump, whatever it might be, we're going to really talk about those a lot. As we get closer to late season, we're going to say less and less, you know, hopefully we have those things figured out. We may work on them in the warm up. Or we may not. It depends on the athlete because, of course, some of the athletes, they like to zone out and really or, or zone in as a better term and just really focus on uh, on the competition itself and what they're about to do and how they're going to execute, whatever. And I don't need to say anything in that instance. But you know, once it gets late season, I'm just saying scoot back, scoot, scoot up, um, stay aggressive, you know, just basic terms, you know, and I'm more about the approach, adjusting them on the runway and not as much about a jump or anything like that unless it's just obvious, you know, they're not executing. Um, but if you say, you know, say too much, of course, that's going to throw them off and get them out of rhythm or um, whatever it might be. They need to just stay, especially late season, they just need to stay competing. They need to stay uh, responding to what the competition is doing and and let that take them wherever they go. And the more that I say, the usually the worse it gets because they're thinking too much. So we, we kind of have a plan early, early more, late less for sure. Yeah, that's a really good takeaway. In fact, you know, you seem like a very calm guy. I'm sure you're the psychologist, you know, in the stands telling the kid to calm down as opposed to doing something like, you know, physically to get them to compete better. Um, you know, with that said, you know, is there anything in your qualities of your coaching that you've kind of stayed consistent to from the beginning to the end to now, whatever, you know, in your training program, training day to day, what do you stay consistent and you make sure they always kind of stay with those either key performance indicators or something that allows you to be as successful and you have found to be real success, successful in your own coaching. Uh, really it's just making day to day, you know, decisions that, you know, not crazy decisions. You look back and it's nothing, you know, amazing that you did. It's just making just rational decisions on the fly um, because every athlete is different. So you, you've got to be, uh, I'm just very observant, you know, and I don't want to do anything that's going to waste the day for the athlete or get the athlete hurt. So I'm watching everything and see uh, what kind of adjustments I need to make immediately, you know, and of course you're not going to get it right all the time and rarely do you get it right early on. But, you know, the the, the longer you're in coaching, the more you're going to see certain commonalities, uh, consistencies in certain movements and things like that, that you say, okay, well, this fits this, we need to switch this pretty quickly or, you know, I can't think of any uh, any certain thing, but I mean, it's just making general coaching decisions in a hurry. Um, but uh, one thing I do, I think this day to day is 
it's keeping the same drills until it is mastered. You're not changing stuff all the time. You're not throwing new stuff at them all the time. Uh, my main mentor and coaching uh, Jerry Clayton, he uh, he's he's now retired, but I was under him at Auburn, and he was uh he was as much a, a movement specialist or a biomechanist than anything, and he wouldn't do anything special. It's just the same drills over and over and over. And I look back at the workouts, I'm like, man, how did this how did this work? You know, but everything he touched just turned to gold because he just was so good at just seeing uh you know human movement and and you know correcting it but not saying too much and putting in the right drill that's going to make them feel instead of think you know and uh i kind of take this i definitely take the same concepts i'm not as good as he was yet but um uh i definitely do that you know so it's really picking things that i think they need while not getting away from their strengths and then keeping those things in consistently every time all right for instance long jump I have a certain set of drills that I choose from. Well, I pick these are what I'm going to do with this person. And we we go through this progression of warm-up drills every single time. And it's to work on whatever they need specifically for them. So it may be being more active on the penultimate. So we're doing continuous penultimate drill, uh, continuous takeoffs on the runway for speed. And they'll do those, you know, two to three sets every single jumps practice that they do until they master it. And even then I may never take it away because as soon as you take that away, they may go back to bad habits. So um I would say overall for me, it's just, um, you know, I'm more of a movement specialist too because of how I was taught. So it's, 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 it's trying to find a drill that's going to make them feel what it is that you're wanting them to feel and keeping it until they master it. Hmm. I heard one of the best sprint coaches in the nation and he was talking about how he puts his sprint drills or his speed drills rather in the warm up because he's like, these are the things I need to cue before I give them a chance to run fast. Let's take care of them now. Um, how much video analyst do you do? Right now, I've got a pretty good bit of athletes, so it's tough. But normally, um, you know, we we have managers and they'll video it. And as soon as they get finished up, I want them to see it. And I don't like to see them let them see it in slow motion. I want to see them in regular speed because that's what that's how the, it's coming at their body. Of course, they're going to go look at it later in slow motion and just really get a feel for what it is. But things are things are different in actual speed than they are in slow motion. It's not realistic in slow motion. You know, so um, so we'll look at it at regular speed and I'll say I'll say the points and then they'll go chew on it a little bit. Or sometimes I won't say anything, just let them look. And, you know, if we're further along in the season, they're going to know, you know, what it is. Or if they're, more, you know, older in the sport, they're going to know. So what do you coach right now? I need you long jump, triple jump. Are you also pole vault, high jump? I mean, that's a lot of stuff. Uh, right now it's long jump, triple jump, high jump and multis. So <laughs> you got yeah, you got quite a load, man. Wow. Florida State, it was everything. It was pole vault too, but we just didn't have as many athletes. Um, you know, we just have uh, – yeah, I've got 23 collegiate athletes here and five post-collegiates, so it gets pretty hectic. So I, I usually practice from about 10, 10.30 till 5 p.m., four days a week, and then Saturday morning uh, with the pros. On your resume, and I did not prepare you for this question at all, you have – Lithuanian, Latvian, Nigerian. You have all these different countries that you've coached, na you know, national champions for. Um, explain that process. How how do you do that? And when even when you're coaching Olympians, what does it look like to be a coach for not just collegiate athletes, but basically the highest high and level professionally, or you know, whatever the highest level of amateurism is. Yeah. So with the internationals, uh, Florida State, they were pretty pretty big on international recruiting. So I got into it there, and same thing here. So. Um, you know, you get connected with different people from around the world and you get some really good ones uh, for sure. And, 
And uh, so the starting point is higher. And then, you know, you hope to develop them to a, to a level uh, that's going to compete at the NCAA championships and beyond. And that's exactly what those girls did that won their country championships. Um, so I have a good relationship with them um, and their coaches back home. So if I can't make it, you know, if they, you know, if I can't make it to European championships or what it may be, whatever it may be, that coach will go with them and we'll communicate and everything like that. But no, it's been a good experience for sure. Um, you know, being with internationals, it's, it's certain, something I haven't done, but five years, I think coaching internationals. So how does certain, one even, how do you recruit an international kid from Lat, you know, Latvia? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a lot of, uh, developing relationships online, you know, through zoom calls and, and text messages, a lot of that. Um, but a lot of times in the summer, I'll go over there, see, you know, uh, European U-20s or world U-20s, um, stuff like that. Pretty much every summer up till COVID, I went one to two times a year. And then when COVID hit, that, that come to a halt. Um, but that'll get started back again this year. So it's really going over there, uh, you know, message them a lot, send up video calls. But once you get over there, you can have a meeting with them, their coach. And if they feel comfortable, that's the big thing with them. They have to feel comfortable um, because they're making a huge decision. It's not like here in the U.S., you know, and, and they don't really transfer. A lot of them don't transfer. You know, they they want to make sure they get it right. They really uh, feel comfortable with the coach, and then they're committing, and that's usually where they stay for, for good, you know. So they're um, – they 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 definitely stay loyal to whoever they choose, so they're pretty diligent with that. Um, so it's an interesting situation for sure. I've learned a lot through it, uh, and the athletes are totally different. I mean, I've heard even Randy Huntington talk about how the Chinese are – you know, he coached – coaches for Chinese Federation for the last few years, they were, you know, couldn't take off for two days in a row. I see that a lot in the Europeans. Um, just depends on where they're from, uh, you know, their nationality uh, a bit or where their family history is, you know, originally from. Um, but we'll see a lot of stuff like that. So I have to make, you know, changes in my workouts where they, you know, the, the, the Latvian, she doesn't even have a day off until Sunday. She has to go straight through. So her weights are her day off. You know, so her body has to stay moving. She cannot take off two days in a row. So uh, it's definitely uh, been a learning experience, uh, but it's been good. I've enjoyed it. Yeah, you're learning about the culture and the kid as much as you're learning just about, you know, biomechanics, you know, because that's yeah. sometimes they don't translate. So speaking of, you know, biomechanics and stuff, I've talked to a lot of a lot of really good coaches. And sadly, it's they they go oh the weight room yeah we have someone for that in fact it's usually some you know jacked up neanderthal and he's like hotting and hooting and hollering or whatever and going around and and they're not necessarily doing the things that you and i wish they would and i have athletes that go from straight from my high school program to these college programs and they get you know they gain 30 pounds and they're awesome and they're squatting and they're slow because of that how much you know and maybe i'm setting you up too much but how much weight room are you involved with? Um, yeah, I love the weight room. I've been doing, I've been studying the weight, weights training and implement it for about uh, 13 years now. And it's not something that I, I really focus on early, you know, as an athlete or as a GA coach at Auburn or anything like that. Um, I was more about the track and then I see how much effect it had and um, in your performance. So I didn't want anybody to have control of it. I, I wanted to do that myself once because I could learn, but two, I just trust myself to make the adjustments because I see the track, you know, and a strength coach, they don't see what's going on with the track. So, um, so I'm, I'm all in, you know, I, right now I have, um, you know, with all the athletes, I'll have five or six different programs going right now. Wow. Then 23 people, um, just based on what I see that they need. And, 
Uh, it has to match, you know, or you're going to get injuries, which still happens even when you know, you know, what you're doing. Injury is going to happen when you're pushing the limit. But it has to it has to be married. It has to be, you know, all in conjunction with each other. So it's got to be complementary and, and and everything like that. So uh, there's a lot of different routes we can go on that one. I, I, I'm, I'm big into the weight room, as I, you know, so it's, it could be light lifting. It could be partial lifting, full, you know, uh, back strength. You know, I really don't get into back strength a whole lot um, unless they, they need it. Just because when you do that, you're going to fatigue the neuromuscular system. And then, you know, you you can't do technique for, you know, a few days. So I don't like to get into that. But, but yeah, everything's just different. It just depends, depends on the person. Well, we'll save that for part two of our our okay. next our next one. We'll talk only weight room at all. And we'll go through the whole thing. Um so I also heard, and I might've heard this from you is like, you categorize your athletes, you group them in categories to pinpoint, like how you choose the volume, the intensity, you know, what does that look like? And what does that mean? Cause I'm, I'm thinking this is something that I definitely can take away from and write some notes down on. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, we get people from ju junior college or, uh, transfer, you know, through the transfer portal from another university and we may have them for one, two, three years. Well, I want every year to be great. You know, I don't want to say, well, we're going to figure you out this year and we're going to throw this system on you. And uh, I have to figure it out really, really quick. So we're doing general prep. I'm, I'm, you know, we'll do testing at the end of general prep. You know, I'll see how the weight room is, is, is looking and moving and what lifts are, you know, they're moving best with. Maybe they don't have a, you know, they get down deep in a squat and it doesn't move as well. And there's certain things I'll take from that, or, you know, they'll be on the track out here and I'll see how they move. So I will, pretty much uh, after general prep, put them in a certain categories is going to best fit so I can write the training. So usually my categories are going to be more speed. You're either speed-based, uh, you're power-based, or you're elastic. So that's generally my my basic three uh, that I go to. And of course, it could be a lot more broad and it's really a spectrum. There's no like set category. It's a spectrum that you're going to have. But uh, generally, if you're more power, well, you don't need any max strength you know, because you're already, you know, naturally you're strong. You know, you like to feel the ground a long time. You'd like to, you're more of a pusher accelerator on the track. Well, those people, um, they may need to feel the ground, but if you, if you overload them with too much, uh, eccentric work, well, they definitely don't like eccentric work, but too much uh, strength work, they become slower. Now, yeah, they feel great to push, but you're not, you're not making them faster. You know, you're not preparing them for their event because we're going to have max velocity. You know, so you're going to bog them down over time uh, for sure. So um, with them, I don't know, overdo eccentric work or heavy grind work, uh, elastic people. I sure don't want to do that with them because it's going to take away what's, you know, what they, you know, makes them great. That's their elasticity. They're not muscle driven. They're more fascial driven. So if I do a lot of muscle dominant stuff where you're getting down deep in the squat, you know, uh, more eccentric movements, all those things are going to fatigue the system. So they're going to start, you know, becoming less elastic, you know, getting bogged down their time, their time signature on the ground and their, and their maybe hurdle hops or anything that they're doing is start, starting to become too long uh, because they're relying on muscle. Uh, and then speed base, you can get them stronger, but when it comes down to time to race, well, you've got to let them speed up and get turned over. So those one, those are a little bit easier. You can get them a lot stronger and get down deep and dig a little bit. And you know, when you get to championship season, you've got to unload and, and let them fly. So uh, the weight room is a big part of it, but I'm even matching that on the track, you know, with sleds or amount of bounds. So we're, we're incorporating every category of training 
with that. It's just based on experience. Uh, we'll say, all right, you know, a power jumper is going to have X amount of bounds. It's going to be less than a speed jumper, and they're going to be less than a, a elastic jumper. And I have a certain range that I'm looking for with each category as best I can. Man, it's a great answer. Um, and yes, I am taking notes. I'm hoping the <laughs> microphone's not picking up my pencil to paper. It's certainly, it's certainly a hard one to fit in uh, quickly. Um, it's so broad, but it's a lot yeah. of what you're seeing, and and then you got to apply. So, out of curiosity, like this is purely just for so, all those high school coaches listening. Most high school coaches have to coach just like you: long jump, triple jump, high jump. You know, what advice do you have to be able to like? manage all those things and to be quite honest most of the athletes are going to be doing all three of those things yeah yeah it's certainly tough uh i'm still learning to be honest with you um but normally everybody will will do accelerations or speed those type of things on the same day um, but what i do luckily i you know i don't have to practice all at one time we'll practice every hour and a half block so we'll have a, a 11 11 o'clock group a 12 30 group a two o'clock uh, group. So they're rolling in nonstop. Um, but what I do is if they work multiple events, we'll usually have two speed days, two jump days, or one would be bounds, and then another tempo day. That's generally what it would look like. So, you know, I may have this person go with this group, you know, on Tuesday, long jump group on Tuesday, and they'll go with high jump on Friday, for instance. Um, so, you know, they're getting, they're getting both in in the week. I don't like to do that a whole, whole lot because they get worn down, but um, they'll have, they'll get both in within the week. They just come at maybe a little, a little bit different time. Um, but if you're trying to do them all together, like some high school coaches have to, yeah, it's near impossible. You've got to get uh, very basic, uh, and, or keep your numbers down. Right. Um, keep it so simple too. Right. Keep it simple. You got to keep it very simple. Yeah. Just keep it short jumps, keep your basic bounding, you know, keep your approaches. That's your main things right there. Yeah, and then uh, most of those athletes are also going to be shared with the hurdles and the sprints. And the, I mean, that's what high school athletics is all about. So it's share them and and communicate. <laughs> uh, good to do that in high school for sure. It makes them uh, more marketable to the to the collegiate uh, coaches for sure. But it makes them more athletic too. So if somebody comes in and they've been hurdling before, well, I want to keep hurdling them because it's going to help them get their you know stay light on their feet, be able to get their feet down at the end of an approach all those type of things, get their hips taller. So I want to keep them, if they know how to hurdle, I want to keep them doing that. So if they're, if, if they're doing, you know, six times 30, well, I'm doing six times 30, you know, three hurdle block starts, you know, same, the same day as those, uh, those that don't hurdle. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Well, and let me end with this. What do you look for in a recruit? What are some of those factors that you really need to have before you have, you know, you offer them a scholarship or offer them an, an invitation to come to Texas tech? Yeah, we look, we look for a lot of things. Um, first of all, before we get to talk to them, we look for the build, uh, how fast they are in nature, you know, generally, you know, um, how light they are on their feet is what I look for. Uh, that's just something you just, it's just hard to improve very much. There's only a certain range you can be in. So if they're light on their feet, that's great. And then when I talk to them, you know, I want great character. I want great integrity and I want great competitors. I want people that want to win and they love track and field. Well, there you have it. Awesome answer. This is a great interview, man. I'm taking notes all over the place and I'm going to be sending this to all my jump athletes and my jump coaches. So can't thank you enough, man. Um, where can we find out more about Texas tech and you as a coach? Like where can we follow your guys's progress? Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, of course we have the school's website, but, uh, also on social media, we have the, uh, Texas tech track and field, 
uh, page. And then we have Texas Tech Jumps page as well. So you can follow those on Instagram. Um, then me, myself, on Twitter and Instagram as well. Um, uh, track Coach K, let me up on there and shoot me a message if you have any questions regarding anything training-wise or recruiting, anything like that. Be happy to help. That's great. Well, thanks for uh, answering my email and hopping on. And I can't wait for part two because I definitely want to do it. You seem like 20, 24 minutes is not enough, man. Um, <laughs> just want to make sure that I mention again, the sole sponsor of this podcast is ontrackandfield.com and surprise, surprise, relaybatons.com. You can uh, stick around a little bit longer and Steve, our CEO, he will uh, let you know how to get in contact with all of these companies and uh, on social media. It is worth the follow, and um, I'm actually looking to get relay batons right now and uh, custom engraved batons that you can use during competition. I'm definitely going to do that for our big invitational this year and maybe even gifts. We'll see. So, Coach, can't thank you enough. And, Steve, why don't you take it away? Even though you can't bound, jump, or do anything like that, we still love you. All right, take it away. Thanks to our guest, Keith Hurston, for joining us on this week's On Track and Field podcast. The On Track and Field podcast is powered by RelayBatons.com, custom engraved and meet and competition legal Relay Batons, and water bottles and tumblers, great for team branding, fundraisers, meet awards, and coaches' gifts. And by OnTrackAndField.com, cross-country and track's one-stop source for everything you need for a successful season, competition gear, spikes, training equipment, and shoes. OnTrackAndField.com has everything you need. And you can save up to 50% when you use the word Track Talk at checkout. Some exclusions apply. And make sure to check out our new website, OnTrackRunning.com, your new source for competition and training shoes. Featuring Saucony, Brooks, On Running, New Balance, Asics, and Hoka Shoes and Spikes. OnTrackRunning.com. And make sure to follow us on our socials in the new year at OnTrack, the letter N, Field, at OnTrackAndField.com. On Twitter and the gram 